So, Lord God, we thank you for bringing us to your presence today. We know that you are everywhere at all times, Father God, but we thank you for bringing us before you today. Father God, someone here needs to hear a word from you on this morning. We don't know what's on our minds. We don't know what's on everybody's mind. We don't know what is in everyone's life trying to steal their joy and steal their peace, but we need to hear a word from you on today. So Father God, we know that whatever it is that is facing us, you have proven yourself to be faithful. And we thank you that we are here. So Lord God, we ask that someone would be touched, and lifted, and inspired and strengthened and empowered by you on today. That someone's need be met in this time. Father God, I of myself do not have what it takes to minister to this great people. But I lay my life down in front of you because it is you that brings the increase. It is you that touches people. It is you that gives life to dead situations. So I pray your word and your power in this time and in this moment today. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord another praise on this morning. And let's praise the Lord again for my mother and my father, Bishop Charles and Lady May L. Blake. And let's praise the Lord for your first lady, Lady Deandra Blake, in the house of the Lord on today. And most of all, give the Lord praise for yourselves on today. You have made it to the house of the Lord. And you may be seated. We want to welcome each and every one of you here to the house of the Lord. And let's praise the Lord for our online family on this morning. Amen. The presence of the Lord is wherever you are. We wanted to remind all of you that it would not be the same without you. That we have been praying for you all week long. Praying that God would give you the best of his blessings, his protection and his power and his peace. So we wanted to let you know that you all are making us a better church. Amen. We also want to praise the Lord for our friends from abroad. Amen. Let all of my brothers and sisters from Denmark raise a hand. Where are you all at? Amen. My Danes in the house. Let all my brothers and sisters from Norway stand, um, raise their hands. Let's praise the Lord for them. Amen. And where are my brothers and sisters from France? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. That is right. I am honored that you would come all the way from the other side of the world just to worship the Lord with us. You are making our worship more full and rich on today. So, West Angeles, let's welcome them and praise the Lord for them. 
Amen. You are loved. You are welcome in this house. I know y'all got to go back home, but we would love to keep you here at West Angeles with us. Thank you all so much. It is my honor to be able to greet you today as pastor of West Angeles Church. We want to we want to make sure that we, as Elder Patton, let's praise the Lord for Elder Patton on the day. Amen. And let's praise the Lord for the brethren, amen, this music department and this, this band, amen. Y'all are some, some bad brothers. I was thinking about, me, you know, we need to go on tour, amen. So maybe they'll let me carry the equipment, you know. I can be like I'm with the band, you know, but y'all are doing it. Oh, don't forget about that. We're going to see if we can't get something going because y'all are not playing, but... Keeping in mind what Elder Patton was saying, we want to make sure that we continue to send our prayers and any support that we can to the people of Turkey and Syria. Again, more than 30,000 people have died. We had an earthquake just last week. Remember here? Nobody died in that earthquake quake. But in another part of the world, more than 33,000 people have died and 80,000 were injured in the earthquake as of last week. So never forget that we, while we are here and life is going on as it goes, there are those whose world has literally crashed down among them. We must never get so wrapped up in the situations of our lives that we forget that there are those who have it much, much, much worse. They had the same problems going on in their lives as we had in our lives, but, you know, our houses haven't fallen down around us. We are not missing members of our family and our loved ones in the rubble. So continue to give the Lord praise that he has kept you. Amen. Amen. Well, I also want to talk about one last time before we go. As, as you know, we will be closing the doors of the North Campus sometime soon. And But however, before we did that, we wanted to pay tribute to the years that have been spent in our North Campus Sanctuary. How many of you got saved in the North Campus Sanctuary? How many of you first met West Angeles right down the street? There are many of us here who they first heard Bishop Blake speak in the North Campus. They stood in line waiting for service to start. How many of you ever stood in line to wait for service to start? I think you all know what I'm talking about. How many of you caught the Holy Spirit in the North Campus? Amen. So you all remembered a lot of those spirit-filled moments have happened in our evening services. So to pay tribute to that and to thank the Lord for the work that he has done in that building, we will have one last evening service in the North Campus. I 
know I made the decision as pastor that we have to move out when we had to move out, you know, but it was Bishop who, in the Lord's wisdom and in his wisdom, made the, had the desire that all of West Angeles's functions would be in one area, you know, because we have to praise the Lord again for him because he built that. He built this building too. Amen. But the same God that brought us from Adams and the same God that built that edifice down the street and the same God that built this edifice is going to carry us on into the future. Amen. And again, it is because that man said yes. So coming up soon on the 26th of February, we are going to have one last evening, Sunday evening service in our North Campus Sanctuary. Again, on February 26th at 7 p.m. And we're going to have us a good old-fashioned Sunday night blowout. Amen. <laughs> and we hope that oh, you will all join us as we worship the Lord in the North Campus one last time. We want to be able to say goodbye properly. And even though part of me is sad, I was 10 years old when they built that North Campus. But we know we want to give the Lord praise for what he has done and we're, that he brought us to that point. But we also want to give the Lord praise that he is carrying us on and further in his power. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord another praise. Well, beloved, let's go to the word of the Lord. Turn with me to Matthew 17, verse 20. Remember, I've touched on this when I was much younger. But I feel that the Lord is saying something different to me in this time regarding this passage. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Sometimes in life, all of us have mountains that we have to contend with, hardships, and circumstances that sometimes stand in our way and that are as seemingly tall as a mountain. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Amen. But today I want to talk about when your mountain does not move. When you have commanded your mountain in all of your faith to be cast into the sea and the next morning it is right there staring you right in the face. Now I believe that everything that the word of God says is true, but... There have been times when I have spoken to my mountain and told it to be cast into the sea, and it did not go 
anywhere. Didn't budge not one centimeter. I know someone in here knows what I am talking about. I know you're too anointed to be disappointed and too blessed to be stressed, but sometimes we run into mountains. Your bills come up to here, but your money only comes up to here. Mountain. The doctor finds a lump in your breast, or the nurse calls you back and tells you that you need to come back to the doctor's office to discuss the latest results of your prostate exam. Mountain. You're facing problems in your marriage. You two look at each other and don't even like each other. No affection. No tenderness. No romance. No passion. It's as if your relationship is a business arrangement with a roommate that you just share a dwelling with. You wonder, how did you find yourself with this person and how much longer can you stay in this situation? Mountain. You find yourself facing a hostile work environment where people are taking your ideas and trying to diminish your influence and contributions. Mountain. You find out that someone who, was, who you thought was a friend, who you thought you could trust, has been betraying on you and bad-mouthing you and hating on you behind your back. mountain. Now my question in the past has been, why is this mountain still in front of me? Why do I even have this mountain? I've prayed to the Lord. I believe in him. I believe that he can do anything that he wants in his power. So why is this mountain still in front of me? Do I not have the faith as even of a mustard seed? I've had to come to the realization, my brothers and sisters, over the past few years that apparently if the mountain is still there, then for some reason, God wants it there. But why? Why would my heavenly father leave this mountain in front of me? Now, we are hardwired to gravitate towards comfort and inconvenience. If you don't believe me, just see how often you really like wanting to take cold showers in the morning. Yeah, no. No one likes to do it. Don't lie. Just tell the truth. But we are hardwired to gravitate towards comfort and convenience. We try to avoid situations that are uncomfortable and unpleasant. Interestingly enough, though, you'll find that struggle and hardship will find you whether you look for it or not. 
Either way, if you live long enough, life has a way of presenting you with mountains. To think that your mountains should not be in existence because you're in relationship with God is a delusion. There is nothing, no passage anywhere in the word of God that says we will never face times of conflict and struggle, that we would never face mountains. In fact, it says just the opposite. In Job 14 and 1, it reads, man who was born of women, woman, is of a few days and full of trouble. Jesus himself said it rains on the heads of the just and the unjust alike. He says there will be joy and pain like sunshine and rain. Oh, some of y'all too saved to remember Frankie Beverly up in here. Okay, all right. Don't let me remind you when you wasn't saved. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but we all want God to take us to the next level, to bless us and give us the desires of our hearts. But think about it. If God put us today where he is leading us tomorrow in the future, we simply would not be ready and we would completely destroy what God would have done in our lives. So he has to get us ready. He has to prepare us and I contend that our mountains are nothing more than tailor-made training aids to prepare us for the purpose that God has put inside of us. And if we do not go through that purpose, that process, that training, then we will not be ready to accept the blessing that we get from the Lord. I'll say it another way. It is through our struggles, our mountains, that we become stronger. Not our times of ease and comfort and still waters. It is our mountains that most prepare us for our promotion. It is our mountains that prepare us again for our promotion. I'll put it another way. That if God has not moved your mountain... Maybe he's trying to move you. I'll say it again. If God has not moved your mountain, then maybe, just maybe, he's trying to move you. I was shocked, shocked to learn that 70% of the people who win the lottery end up going broke. One third of those people actually file for bankruptcy sooner or later. 
I don't care how saved you are. If you found out that your friend or somebody in your family bought you a lottery ticket and you won the jackpot, you would take that money. You'd be like, well, the money don't know where it came from. I'll get my tithes. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for this blessing. Someone tell the truth and shame the devil in here on the day. Amen. Go on now. You know you would take the money. <laughs> Praise the Lord. If you wouldn't give me that ticket, praise the Lord. I'll make sure the Lord get the glory from that money right there. <laughs> but I was shocked to find out that 70%, 70% of the people who win the lottery go broke. They got that increase without going through the process necessary to prepare them for that increase. They didn't work for that money. They did not go through what they needed to go through to learn the discipline necessary to manage such a large influx of cash. So what did they do? They ended up losing it. We spend so much time praying for that breakthrough. So much time praying for that blessing, but many times we are not ready for the blessing that we are praying for. We need to pray that God gets us ready for the blessing more, if not as much as if not more than the blessing that we are praying for. We need to pray to God to get us ready for the blessing that we are praying for instead of just praying for the blessing. Instead of praying for that wife all day, instead of praying for that new job all day, pray that the Lord gets you ready that when you get that wife, you're the kind of husband that she won't want to run away from. Pray that you'll be ready to get that job so that you have the proper work ethic to keep that job and get the promotion. Amen. We need to pray that God gets us ready for the blessing instead of just praying for the blessing that he would give us. For example, we rarely think about it. But when young David was first anointed to be king, he was not actually ready to be king. There were many things that he would have to go through that even though he did not enjoy doing them, they prepared him to become king. After being anointed king, you would have thought that he would have started receiving special treatment. But the first place David was sent back to was to the sheep. Go on back out there and keep on minding them sheep, son. It was during David's time as a shepherd languishing on the mountain of boredom that he learned how to play the harp. He learned how to write poetry. And he got pretty good at learning how to work a sling. He soon found himself having to face a mountain in the form of a lion. After facing the mountain of the lion, he was then ready to face the bear mountain. And after he faced the bear, he was ready to face 
Mount Goliath. It was his time running from Saul that made him an even better fighter and tactician. It prepared him to be the most successful king in Israel's history. In fact, David won a very decisive battle that united Judah and Israel and made them all one nation. The way he won this battle is that he had his men sneak through these underground caves that supplied water to the city and took their enemy by surprise, thus giving him victory in the battle. The army popped up in the middle of the city and the enemy didn't know how they got there. However, if David had not been running from, from, from Saul for his life as a fugitive, if he was not being hunted down as a criminal by Saul, he would have never found those caves in the first place because those are the caves that he used to hide in to escape from Saul. It was his time of war and struggle that prepared he and his men to deal with the most painful battle of his lifetime, the battle against his own son, Absalom. You see, up to a certain point, David had only been a leader of sheep. It was only after his time facing his mountains that he was ready to become king because he was not ready to become king when he was first anointed king. Somebody here needs to remember that God has anointed you and blessed you with purpose with talent, with gifting, with creativity, but you have to go through something to bring it out of you. David needed to spend some time in the cave. He needed to spend some time facing his mountains, facing a mountain that would not be moved when he commanded it to be cast into the sea. Most of the Psalms he wrote, he wrote while he was on the run from Saul. And in his times of desperation and loneliness and sadness. In fact, at the end of his journey, David was able to say in Psalms 71:20, You who have shown me great and severe troubles, mountains shall revive me again and bring me up from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side while on the mountain. But every great and severe trouble that God showed David was meant to turn him from a ruddy shepherd boy into the king that he was meant to be. Oh, let's give the Lord some praise on today. In fact, in fact, David's biggest mistake as king was not when he was dealing with a mountain, but when he was very comfortable in a comfortable state. Instead of being on the battlefield facing a mountain like he was supposed to be, he was at home taking it easy and one day from the balcony he looked down and saw a sweet 
young thing taking a bath. It has been said that you have to be very careful during your downtime because that's when you do some of your lowest stuff. When you think you fought hard enough to deserve doing a little something during your downtime. It has been said that you have to be very careful during your downtime because that's when you do some of your lowest stuff. After your victory, some of y'all are going to get that later. But it is not in your times of comfort that you grow and get stronger, but in your times of struggle, in your times of pain, in your times on the mountain. We can talk about Brother Joseph. For the most part, when we think of young Joseph, we think of him as the dreamer who God blessed with special visions and interpretations, who was so kind and sweet-spirited that everybody but his brothers loved him because they were so jealous. We know him to have been a man of great character. But Joseph could have easily been the most spoiled little brat that you have ever met in your life. He had no problem letting his brothers and the rest of his family know that he knew that he was special. I know it might be testing your spiritual imagination, but walk with me. You see, we have to remember that Joseph's father, Jacob, loved his mother, Rachel, more than he loved his brother's mother, Leah. And I believe that Joseph let his brothers know this every chance he got. You know, my daddy loved my mama more than he loved your mama. <laughs> Jacob could never say that he loved all of his sons the same because Joseph was his son with Rachel. The same Rachel that he worked seven years to marry only to find out that he had been tricked into marrying her older, less attractive sister Leah. Jacob then worked seven more years for the right to marry Rachel. She had to be the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. But Rachel was barren for a very long time while Leah was having kids left and right. I don't care how unattractive Jacob thought Leah was, he had more than 10 kids with Leah. I'll let y'all figure the math out very soon. But Leah had 10 sons with Jacob before Rachel had even one son with Jacob. Rachel was Joseph's father's true love who died giving birth to his little brother, Benjamin. So Joseph was Jacob's favorite. Jacob probably saw Rachel's face every time he looked at little Joseph. He was the only son that got a coat of many colors. And I'm sure he showed it off Every chance he get, he got. Yes. <laughs> you know how kids can get. 
But in that, I imagine that Joseph was not always a joy to be around at times. He probably made it real easy for his brothers to dislike him. Always ratting them out, telling what they were doing and up to. While they worked hard in the fields, Joseph was at home living in the lap of luxury. And on top of that, he would tell his family of dreams that he had that they were going to be bowing down to him. He was probably shocked beyond all belief that his brothers hated him in the first place because in his own eyes, he was so special. There was definitely some mountains that Joseph would need to deal with before he would be ready to be what God had called him to be. But it was that first mountain of the pit that they threw him in that started preparing Joseph for his destiny. It probably started that process of self-reflection that had him wondering, what did I do to get thrown in this pit, in this predicament? I mean, nine of his ten brothers actually had planned to kill him. They planned to kill their little brother. It had to cross his mind some point. It was then the mountain of Potiphar's house, living as a slave, that probably taught him a little humility. Before anyone bowed down to him, he had to learn how to bow down before his master, Potiphar. How many times do you think that Joseph quietly prayed that he would be freed from slavery? How many nights do you think Joseph spent feeling sorry for himself because his brothers hated him so much, threw him in a pit, and sold him into slavery for Potiphar. How many times do you think he prayed for this mountain to be moved? It was then the mountain of prison that matured Joseph. Oh, yeah, God got him out of slavery, all right. <laughs> right into prison. But the mountain of prison probably taught him discretion and not to talk so much. Amen. It was the mountain of being forgotten by the cook and the cupbearer that taught him patience. And if being falsely accused and sent to prison is in a trial that worketh patience, well, then I don't know what is. Be careful when you pray for patience because the Lord will give you patience. In the form of a mountain. But if Joseph had not been so hated by his brothers, he would not have been thrown in the pit. And if he had not been thrown in the pit, then he would not have been sold into slavery to Potiphar. And if he had not been sold to Potiphar, he would not have met Potiphar's wife and if he had not met Potiphar's wife then he would not she would not have tried to seduce him 
and lie on him. And if she had not lied on him, then he wouldn't have been sent to prison. And if he had not been sent to prison, then he would not have met the king's cupbearer. And if the cupbearer had not forgotten about Joseph until the right exact time when Pharaoh was desperate for some kind of answer to his dream, then he would not have met his destiny. He would not have met his purpose. Everything, everything that happened, happened just at the right time. If Joseph had not gone through any one of those experiences, if God had answered any of Joseph's prayers for any one of those mountains and his life to be cast into the sea, then he would not have been prepared to be what God had intended him to be. Everything that you are going through is for the good. You see, God sees us as we could be. God sees us after his process. But we have to understand that sometimes the process is not very enjoyable. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. And the main thing that separates us from true greatness is the desire to avoid comfort and discomfort and pain at all costs. Let me say it again so we can sink into somebody. The main thing that is separating you from true greatness is your desire to avoid discomfort and pain at all costs. But I was once told by one of my teachers that it is your pain and your pain helps to remind you that you are alive. And the only thing worse than feeling pain is not feeling nothing at all. You see, I'm not here because I just want to praise God and feel good. I'm here because I want to get stronger. I'm here so tomorrow I can be more than what I am today. I see us in the future and we look a whole lot better than we do right now, but we have to realize that it's going to take more than this joining a church. It's going to take more than this joining a West Angeles to be a better person, to get closer to God. You have to submit yourself fully to his process his program and not all of this process is going to feel good because growth maturation evolution seldom involve comfort and pleasure you see if you're constantly seeking to be comfortable then you will never grow Most of us spend our time praying to God, trying to get to a level of comfort. That when life throws problems at us, we incorrectly think that these problems are a result of the devil being busy or some punishment or consequence for some mistake that he we made. But in all actuality, they are merely exercises in God's 
process and plan to make you a better you, to make you the highest version of yourself. How many of you here want to be the highest version of yourself? When I was out there doing things I wasn't supposed to do, I found myself in certain strange places and a voice that sounded just like mine would say, this is not you. Get up. This is not who I made you to be. This is not the life that I told you and made you to live. What you are going through right now has been orchestrated by God. God sees you before you see yourself. So he sometimes set things up like a master chess player for your good. Oh, somebody say it with me. No test, no testimony. No test, no testimony. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise on today. Mm. We have to remember that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you shall complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. When God gave Joseph the dream, he began the good work. And when God took Joseph through the hatred of his brothers, he was completing that good work. When God took Joseph out of the pit and sold him into slavery, he was completing the good work that he started in Joseph's life. When Joseph was put into prison for a crime that he did not commit, God was completing the work that he started in Joseph's life way back that he did when he gave him the vision as a spoiled little child. Joseph went through what I like to call the four P's. The pit, Potiphar's house, the prison, then to the palace. The miracle is God took a spoiled little boy with a dream and a vision and turned him into someone that had the capacity to rule a nation. Being confident of this very thing that he that has begun a good work in you, and you, and you, and you, and you, that he that has begun a good work in you shall complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Joseph sitting on the other side of his mountains was able to say in Genesis 45 and 8, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and the ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. By the time that Joseph got it, the reason for all of his pain and abandonment had made itself clear to him in that one shining moment of revelation. And it is this, that we are called to face the worst that life and this world has to offer. And if need be, to rest in the fact that God has a process that he is taking us through. 
We must never forget that climbing and conquering a mountain makes you as much of a miracle as the mountain being moved out of the way. I'll say it again, that climbing and conquering a mountain is as much of a miracle as God moving that mountain completely out of the way. God bringing you through a seemingly hopeless situation is as much of a miracle as God miraculously moving that situation out of the way. I know someone knows what I'm talking about. Oh, give the Lord praise with me on today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But God will put us in the middle of a situation that will ultimately make us stronger. And he says, this is for your good. And the first thing we do is to pray for God to take us out of the situation, to take us out of that process. The first thing we do is wonder why God is letting us go through this situation. Why am I facing this mountain? We are so geared to comfort and ease that we spend our time in the middle of a miraculous process on the mountain praying for some miracle to happen that will take us off of the mountain which God has you on in the first place which is the miracle in and of itself. You're praying for a miracle to take you out of the miracle that God has put you in. If God does not move the mountain when you command the mountain to be moved, he's not trying to move the mountain. He is trying to move you. If God does not move the mountain when you command it to be moved, he is not trying to move the mountain. He's trying to move you. He's trying to move you to a place that is deeper in him. He's trying to move you to a deeper place in his will. He's trying to make you stronger. And if it feels like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, that is just God trying to make your legs stronger. I said if it feels like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, that's just God trying to make your legs stronger. We say we want to be vessels used of the Lord, but we shy away from the process that God has been using to form us into a vessel. The mountain is a dangerous place. People die while climbing mountains, but your mountains give you drive. They give you clarity. And if you can't handle the pit, if you can't handle Potiphar's house, if you can't handle prison, then you can't handle the palace, baby. You can't handle it. If you can't handle the mountain, if you tell God to cast it into the sea, then you'll never know what it is to stand on the mountaintop. But today, I feel like I'm in a church full of mountain climbers. Hallelujah. I feel like I'm in a church full of mountain climbers. You don't have to move the mountain, Lord, because I'm going to climb it. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a mountain climber. I'm a mountain climber. Hallelujah. 
We have been afraid of the mountain when it is the mountain that should be afraid of us. We have been afraid of the mountain when it is the mountain that should be afraid of us. Hallelujah. Because we can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. Because if God be for us, who can be against us? What mountain can stand against us? In the name of Jesus, we have the victory. Say it in the name of Jesus. We have the victory. How many mountain climbers do I have in here today? Let all my mountain climbers give him praise on today. Oh, let's give him praise on today. Hallelujah. Mm. Brother Paul said it best. Romans 5 and 3. And not only that, but we also glory in mountains. Knowing that mountains produce perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. But even in the middle of climbing that mountain, I hear Brother David say that I will bless the Lord at always. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That means while you are on the mountain, you need to give the Lord praise on today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor again and say, I'm a mountain climber. Now everybody stand up and give the Lord praise. Give the Lord praise with me on today. Hallelujah. Let all the mountain climbers in the house of the Lord give the Lord praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Oh, worship him, worship him, worship him, worship him. Worship him, worship him. Praise him for the mountain. Praise him even for the mountain. Praise him even though you're facing the mountain. Praise him even though you're facing the storm. Praise him even though you're facing your trials. Praise him through your pain. Praise him through your chaos. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, don't stop giving him praise. We worship and adore Thee, bowing down before Thee. Songs of praise, the sea. 